Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Once you're in Luke chapter 24, go ahead and stand with me uh, for the reading of Scripture. Luke 24, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do, you doubt, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Jesus' resurrection was not imagined by his disciples. It was not a metaphor for spiritual defeat of darkness. Jesus' resurrection was a real bodily resurrection. In fact, as we just read, the disciples initially think that Jesus is some kind of ghost, but he proves them wrong. What does he have? He says, look at my hands, look at my feet. It's me. There are marks on my body from my previous life. It's still me. And here's what is even more wild to me. Look back down at your Bibles in verse uh, 42, he says, or 41. He says, do you have anything here to eat? Verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Let me, get, let me ask you this question. Do ghosts eat fish? The resurrection was not imagined. It wasn't metaphorical, like, oh, he kind of metaphorically triumphed over evil and was raised from the dead. It, it wasn't a purely spiritual idea within the minds of first century people. It was a real bodily resurrection. And I want to say this. It needed to be in order to free humanity. 
See, God is not interested in redeeming your spirit without your body, as though, you, you know, he's really after your spirit, and one day you're going to shed that, that bag of flesh that's been weighing you down your whole life, and you'll be resurrected spiritually. No. He made you. He made your body. And he intends to redeem all that he has made, the very physicality that is you. And this is the reason why God became a human. So what I want to do uh, this morning is a little bit unique. You know, I asked myself on Monday, I said, what is the most simple message I could give this morning? What is the most simple message of the gospel that I could share with you this morning? The most simple message of Jesus. It's so, it, 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 the gospel is so comprehensive. It, it touches the deep fears and angst and, and, and anger and lusts of what it means to be human but a child could understand it. It is so simple. So what is it? Well, here, I want to show you the very first words ever recorded of Jesus. When Jesus shows up on the scene, here's what he says. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of Jesus, his, his message, you know, you, you, his message isn't, here's how you get to heaven when you die. The very first thing that he says, it has to do with that, but the very first thing that he says is this, the kingdom of God is at hand. God's rule and reign is possible in your world through you. You need to repent and you need to believe. The kingdom of Jesus begins with the repentance of sin. That's the first part of this simple message of Jesus. Now maybe you're here and you're thinking, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. Christians are so obsessed with sin why are you guys so obsessed with sin? You're always worried about it, always talking about it, always afraid of it. Why? Well, in Hebrew, the word for sin is an archery term. It's an archery term. So you've got to imagine somebody who is an archer or somebody who's, you know, trying, maybe they're practicing for bow, bow hunting season or something like that. They pull their bow back and they're aiming at the target and they release the arrow and a sin is when the arrow doesn't hit its intended target. That's a sin. It missed the target. Now, why does this matter? Why this matters is that sin isn't transgressing some arbitrary moral code that some God made up. That's not sin. Sin is sin because it is missing what humans were designed for. There is a target. God designed humans. There's a target. And to sin is to miss that design. See, Christians believe that God created our world. Christians believe that God designed our world. Now, that may seem like a benign belief that's baked into Christianity, but I want to tell you, it changes everything. It changes everything. Because what does a designer do? A designer of any sort, what does a designer do? What a designer does is they take raw material that doesn't have any purpose, and they put it together in a way that gives it purpose. A designer assigns function through their design, which provides purpose. Now here's a question. What every single person in this room and, and throughout all of humanity, what are all humans after in life? They are after purpose. They are after life. And so I want you to see that there is this incredibly heavy weight on the shoulders of those who do not believe in design. If you don't believe that God designed you with a target, with a purpose, then you must come up with, on your own, purpose. 
for your own life. Because, because get this, if you get rid of the designer, then you get rid of function. You, you, you get rid of function and you lose purpose. You get rid of purpose and f- you will find your life drained of any sort of meaning. And the plight of the modern person is this. We have all this wealth. We have all this material, all this good stuff. But it is meaningless outside of God. And so the plight of the modern person is to attempt to cobble together a life of meaning out of what they believe is meaningless material. Maybe a simple way to put this, and this would be a very Christian way of putting it, and you're, you're at a Christian church, so, so here you go. Uh, maybe a simple way of putting this is this. Humans take up the uncomfortable position of playing God when they try to get purpose in life for themselves. And it's very uncomfortable. And that, when you do that, that's called sin. When you play the role of God, it's called sin because that's not what you were designed for. Because you're not God. I don't know if you've ever realized this. You, you probably think that you, there's, a, there's a small amount of things that you control in your life. And even those things you probably don't control that much of. And so when you try to arrange your life in such a way where you control it and you bring about purpose, what you will find is that you were not created to do that. You were not designed to do that. And many have found that being their own God is a lot more like death than it is like life. Because here's the deal. Your attempts to create meaning, they don't actually free you to be you they confine you to perform. You know, Jesus, he has very strong words on this. He says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Strong language. Now, you probably walked in this morning and you didn't think, ah, I really feel like a slave to sin today. <laughs> you may not even think, I'm not a slave to sin. What are you talking about? But that is because you are measuring freedom only in one way. And the way that you're measuring freedom is a culturally constructed way of measuring freedom that tells you freedom is the ability to do what you want. And so you're like, of course I'm free. I can do what I want. I can, I can eat what I want. I can sleep with whoever I want. I can do whatever I want. I can buy what I want. Really, the only restrictions in my life are financial. And if I just had enough money and just had enough power, I could be a god. Oh, <laughs> Jesus would say, You're a slave to sin, and the reason why is that you have forgotten the other definition of freedom. The other definition of freedom is this. Are you free not to do something? There's freedom to do something. I'm free to do this. I can do whatever I want, but are you free not to? Are you free from? See, sin has the ability to control you, to tell you what to do, to own you, so that what you think is bringing about purpose and it's bringing about life is actually becoming your master. Your job, your career, your stuff, your accolades, and all that you've accumulated in this life to make your life really mean something, to find purpose, are actually chains on your shoulders weighing down the real human that God designed you to be. And when you realize that, And you say, I'm tired of playing God. And I've been broken by my pursuits. And I'm exhausted from the performance. And you say, I need a real God, not this fake thing that I'm trying to be. 
I need a real designer because I haven't been designing my life well. I need somebody to tell me who I am. That's repentance. That's repentance. Repentance isn't saying sorry. That's not repentance. Repentance is turning away in your mind, heart, and body from the way that you used to find purpose and fulfillment outside of God and turning to find it all within relationship with God. I have no good thing apart from you. That's repentance. Remember Jesus' very first words, the, th the first thing ever recorded is the word repent. The kingdom is at hand. What I want to say to you this morning is that there is a kingdom life. There is a heavenly existence. And the access point of it is recognizing that you're not the king of it. There is a heavenly existence for you. And the access point is you recognizing, I can't do this on my own. I need God. And I need the real king. And you begin to trust the one whose kingdom it actually is. We spent some time on this uh, last week with, with Jake's sermon. It's a wonderful sermon on Proverbs chapter 3. I want to read it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Okay, you guys, you got extra sleep, so I don't know why you're so tired. Um, I'm going to need you to, let's all read this out to get together. This is going to wake you up a little bit. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Lean not on your own understanding. What does that mean, practically? Well, I think that's a wonderful description of faith. That's a wonderful description of faith. Faith is not like, okay, I mentally agree that there could have been a man named Jesus who lived in the first century. He was killed by the Romans, and he was resurrected. I, I have faith. I believe that happened. That's not faith. Faith is trust. I'm not leaning on my own understanding, on my own ability to build a life and purpose. I'm leaning on yours. I trust you, God. You know, I think of somebody, this is the image that I've always had for this, somebody lying on their bed. I mean, picture yourself lying on your bed, and you are lying in the middle of your bed, and you begin to roll. Do a little barrel roll all the way to the edge of your bed. Here's faith. I'm going to roll off the side of the bed and believe that something will catch me. That is repentance. That is having faith in God. It's to roll the weight of your life onto him. I'm not leaning on this, this bed that I've made, this place of rest in my life, all of my accomplishments, all the things that I've done, the people that I have in my life. I'm not going to rest on that. I'm not leaning on my own understanding. I'm going to roll my life, the very weight of my life, onto you. I'm leaning not on my own understanding, but you. And you know what Jesus calls that? He says, that's how you were designed to live. You were not designed to be self-sufficient. You were designed for trust. And Jesus, he says, when you do that, now you're living life abundantly. Now, if I had asked you when you walked in this morning, hey, are you living life abundantly? Maybe you would have felt some kind of weird Christian peer pressure to be like, oh, totally, dude. And you're not. Um, but, if I, but if I were to ask you, are you living life abundantly? And you're like, no. And I would ask you, why are you not living life abundantly? Most people would have some sort of answer. Well, I just need this thing to happen. I just need to, if only God would organize the material of my life, the people of my life, the degrees of my life, the spouse of my life, if only it was organized in a specific way, then I would be really living. 
And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The abundant life, you want to live abundantly? You have to die. You need to die. All that pursuit over here, all that organizing of stuff, you playing God must die. It is the mystery of the gospel, but the abundant life is abundant because it is the dead life. You're like, what? Okay, well, here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said. Let's bring somebody of sanity back into the room. He says this, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and what? Dies. It remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay, what is he talking about? Here's what he's saying. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. (laughs) That's crazy. That is really crazy, isn't it? He who loves his life loses it. But he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. When you roll the weight of your life upon him, you are saying all the ways that I used to find purpose and meaning in life must die. Here's the good news. There's a lot of religions that say your passions, your desires should die. Ah, But Christianity says something else as well. It says something must take their place. See, the second part of the simple gospel message of Jesus is to get baptized. To get baptized. You know, you can't see it, but we have a baptismal tank on the other side of that wall outside. We're going to have a rainy baptism today after church. So if you want to get baptized, or if this at all is speaking to you, and, and it's time to give your life to Jesus, it's time to die to all the ways that you've been trying to build purpose and meaning in your life, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. We're going to do baptisms. It's going to be amazing. And here's the good news, guys. We rented this giant machine that makes the water warm. So it's like a, it's a hot tub. It's a hot tub. I'm looking forward to baptisms this time because I've had too many ice cold baptisms at this church. So when Jesus shows up, why, why is the second part of the message of the gospel get baptized? When Jesus shows up, there's baptisms already happening. If you recall, there's this man named John. He's at the Jordan River, and he is, he's baptizing Jewish people, but it was only for the repentance of sin. It was a, if you really think about it, it was a Jewish revival movement. Essentially, he's like, let's rediscover what it means to be the Jewish people of God. And so, you know, these people are coming out, and, and, and the hand of God is on it. In fact, Jesus, he affirms it by joining in. But then with Jesus' death and with his resurrection, he actually changes the meaning of baptism. Jesus tells his disciples to baptize people not just for the repentance of sin. There is that. I'm dying. But also for incorporation, resurrection. Here's what I mean. Paul says this uh, about baptism to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 6. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You have to die. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Everybody say, live a new life. So when you get baptized, you die. But you don't stay dead, you come alive. You get a whole new life. Okay, but what is that life? What exactly is Paul talking about? Well, he continues. He says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body 
pay attention to this part, ruled by sin. What does that mean? Remember, we've been doing some work already today. That means ruled by undesign. Ruled by anti-design. The body that has been ruled by the thing you were not created for. (laughs) For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Or put another way, anyone who died in baptism is no longer ruled by their attempts to find meaning on their own in this life. You're not alone. You have a father. You have a God who he not only created you and knows what's going to really make you run, but he's interested in an intimate relationship where you are daily hearing from him. So you thought Christianity was about believing stuff. Uh, There are things to believe. But it's so that you have access to a father's voice every single day of your life. It's not about coming to church and about singing songs. Christians do this once a week. There are six other days every week that are to be animated with the new life. (laughs) With the body not ruled by sin, but with the body ruled by this is what I was designed for. I was designed to trust you. I was designed to trust you. You have a new life. So that all of your fears and all of your anger and all of your lust that once used to determine all of your action that once seemed like the paths to significance, they no longer have power over you. See, you got, when you get baptized, you got put into life himself. You're in Christ. You got a whole new operating system. And so all of your motivations begin to change. And do you know what it feels like? It feels like really living. It feels like really living. Now, how does this work? You're like, okay, how exactly does this work? You know, is baptism some kind of magical ritual? Are we going to have some kind of magical ritual here after church today? No, it's not magical, but it is spiritual. See, baptism is a spiritual reality that is practiced in the flesh. I'm dead. I'm dying to my old way, to my old life. I go under the water. I'm dead. But just like Jesus, he didn't stay dead. He came out of the grave. I'm coming up out of the water into complete new life. I am now in Christ and I'm alive. Now, maybe you were baptized and you felt that. This is a whole new life. I was struck with the glory of God. Or maybe you were baptized and you came up out of the water and you're like, well, now I'm wet. Let me say this. Nonetheless, there is a theological reality about your life. See, in the church, we're so used to only believing in things that we feel. But there is truth to be agreed with about what it means spiritually that you were baptized in water, out of water. You're now alive in Christ. You know, make no mistake, you're dying. You know, your will being the sole determining factor in your life, it's dead. That personal project to build a prosperous and beautiful life, it's dead. But there is a promise. And the promise is this. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. No death, no resurrection. Without death, there's no resurrection. But with death, there's resurrection. Baptism is 
is, is powerful because it locates the problem for all humans, not in power politics, not in systems gone awry or economics. It locates the problem of all humanity in the personal human heart. That empire of self that we live with internally is our undoing. And so killing that, dying, baptism is the solution. Real life, you want, re- you want to really live? It's found with identifying yourself with the death of Christ so that you can live with Christ. Which is why the third and final part of this very simple message is live resurrected. Live resurrected. What is the simple message of Jesus? It's repent of your sin. It's get baptized. Get in Christ. And then live a resurrected life. I want to I do a, a, some grammar with you, if that's okay. Uh, I, I want you guys to look at the tense We're going to look at the tense of this next passage. It says, since then, this is Paul speaking to the church in Colossae, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay. You died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Past, present, or future? Not a trick question. Past. Okay. Let's try it one more time. You have been raised. Past, present, or future? It's stunning. Because there's just this sense of like, is that, am I, is it legal? Can I say that? I have been raised. I'm resurrected now. Is that actually true? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, when did that happen? When was I raised? (laughs) When you were baptized. What Paul is saying is that anybody who puts their trust in Jesus and recognizes their need of his work on the cross and in the resurrection, you're like, I need that. I've tried to build my life with all these other things. I've tried to find purpose in all these other areas. No, I need that. His death becomes your death, and his resurrection becomes your resurrection. Your identity changes. Christianity is not just about agreeing with theology. It's about your identity changing. The way you perceive yourself in this world radically changing. You're no longer just some average bloke. I've never used that word before. Uh, Felt okay. It was okay. (laughs) You're not just an average person. You're someone who's seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. See, you lived your whole life or years of your life with this other identity that you were unloved or that you were unimportant or that nobody should ever really listen to you because what do you have to say? Or that you were the black sheep of the family or you're just misunderstood. And so you began to play the game of the world. You began to compete for blessing and you began to develop worth through your accomplishments. And what the gospel says is that everyone who comes into Christ gets a new identity. They die. All their old stuff they used to be important dies. And then, when they do that, they begin to live resurrected. They get free from fear. All those fears of like, well, what if I don't have this? And all the fear that's like, well, what if they don't? Fill in the blank. Or what if I'm not? 
Somebody who's really, they've been baptized and they're living resurrected. You know what they think? They think if resurrection is coming for me, if one day God will make all wrong things right again, then what do I have to fear in this life? And they get filled with the love of God and his purposes for their life. And they realize that I've been given an identity that's not based on my effort. It's not based on my morality or my uniqueness. It's based on the loving choice of God in his very effective blood. That's what it's based on. How powerful. So get this. Then your identity, it's not built on comparison to other people. See, this is the problem of, of our world is how do you construct an identity that doesn't oppress you or oppress others? How do you get that kind of an identity? The kind of identity that fills you up, but it doesn't make you full of pride and looking down your nose at other people. Where do you find that? Or how do you get an identity that doesn't, you know, crush you in false humility and just, you know, you're in the depths so that you can exalt the people around you? You I really want to just be humble. No, 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 no. This kind of identity says you were loved enough that Christ died for you, but he had to die for you. So be humble. He had to die for you so that you could live resurrected. And when you get that identity, you stop performing and you stop working and striving for importance. And you realize that because you have God's spirit communicating in, with you, filling you up, that you now have an answer to painful and impossible situations in our world. That was good news. I appreciate that right there. Um, here's why. Because if resurrection is possible... Nothing is impossible. If resurrection is possible, nothing is impossible. If resurrection is possible, it really happened. It was bodily. He ate fish. If resurrection really happened. (laughs) It's pretty crazy that's in there. Uh, If resurrection is possible, nothing is impossible. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? It's within my reach. It's within your reach. (laughs) Heaven. God's kingdom. His will being done. His ability to redesign whatever has been undesigned in your life is is as accessible as this Bible here is on this desk. You know, see, from the very outset, Jesus made a declaration that there is an overlapping of two worlds. His first words, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. In other words, there's an overlapping of his space, heaven, and our space, earth. And we exist in that overlap. We experience all of the pain, the loss, the death of this life. But we also experience the reality of heaven. The kingdom of God is accessible right here and right now. You know, Jesus was once asked, you know, how do you do the miraculous? How do you heal? How do you, you know, cast out the demonic? How do you know what you know prophetically? How do you, how do you know the things that you know that nobody's ever told you? How do you know those things about people? And you would have thought that maybe Jesus would have been like, well, <laughs> I'm God. Ever heard of him? You know, you would have thought that he's been like, I'm kind of powerful. Like there at the beginning, I'm a part of that, that whole wisdom that laid the foundations of the earth, that whole thing. That was me. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. In fact, here's the exchange. 
Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? In other words, could this be the Messiah who we've been waiting for? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. And here's the key line. He gives us the insight. But if it is by the Spirit of God, everybody say Spirit of God, that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. <laughs> if it is by the Spirit of God, how does Jesus do what he did? It's by the Spirit of God. Now get this. What does everyone baptized into Christ receive? The Spirit of God. That was louder than the other gathering, so you get points on that one. There you go, you got one. Everyone receives the Spirit of God. Now here's, here's what I want to say. If Jesus was not intent on us doing what he did, then he wouldn't have given us the very thing he used to do what he did. You didn't get that. <laughs> if Jesus, if Jesus was, if he was like, I don't want people doing the miraculous. I don't want them praying for healing. I don't want them to have prophetic insight into life and destiny. Then why would he give us the very thing he used to heal the sick, to bring about prophetic destiny, to cast out the demonic? You are a powerful people. Because of the resurrection, the promised spirit of God, you have an answer to impossible situations. You say, yeah, but there's impossible situations. Yes, we live in the overlap. There's pain and there's difficulty and there's loss and sorrow. Yep, but we live in the overlap. And as believers, we stand upon the sacrifice, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. We stand upon it and we say, all the authorities, all the demonic principalities, what the enemy has meant to undo humanity, You've made a spectacle of by triumphing over them on the cross. And we continue to have faith and we continue to stand. So we pray for healing. We cast out the demonic. We, 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 we invite prophetic destiny into one another's lives. Why? Because it's cool? No. No. Because God's activity through his spirit remakes those whose sin has been killing. Look, the simple message of the resurrection is that God has come to restore you to, to bring purpose in your life, friendship with God that produces peace, power of the Holy Spirit in your body and the bodies of people around you, heaven breaking into our world, so that coworkers and friends and family, they see your life and they go, Wow, I think that's how I was designed to live. And something in me all my life has been leading me to this conclusion that I was designed to live resurrected. I was designed to live resurrected. To which Christians across the globe this morning reply, amen, amen. Let's stand together.
Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.